electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts right now. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Rich Ross, Gene Munzer. Gene, you don't need that red phone right now. Put it down. And Dan Nathan. <laughs> Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin bouncing back, surging nearly 40% from its low on Friday, trading just below 16K as we speak. But if you think you missed the rally, think again. Ari Paul, the man who sees Bitcoin hitting 50,000. Yes, 50,000. He will be here to tell us how soon it could happen and why he is so bullish. Plus, retail stocks surging after holiday spending hit new record highs. But one of the traders warns the rally may be the ultimate head fake. We will break that down. But first, we start with Apple's lump of coal for investors. The stock sinking more than 2% on reports. The tech giant could cut its sales forecast for the new iPhone X, 10, I should say, and sparking a Chipmas Massacre. Names like Micron, Corvo, AMAT, Skyworks, Broadcom all falling. These have been some of the hottest trades of the year. So is this the beginning of a bigger pullback or should you buy this dip? Dan, what do you say? Well, it's a tough one. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways you want to look at this. Obviously, we had Micron's earnings just a week and a half ago and they beat and guided higher. And what they were talking about, NAN pricing and DRAM, obviously is good for them and their margins. Obviously, this has been a headwind for Apple's margins. I mean, they're a big customer of Apple, that sort of thing. But to me, I think you got to think about this Apple announcement. We see this every quarter, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, hush, hush, whisper, whisper this. Um, they're not going to have the builds that they did on this high-end phone that's going to, you know, positively affect their ASPs. I mean, I think it's important to remember that when they reported last quarter, expectations were not particularly high because people knew that the iPhone X was going to be pushed out later into the, the calendar Q4. And all of a sudden, they gave this massive guide for units in yeah. This quarter to 85 million. So I think at the end of the day, you have a stock trading at 170. I think back then it was 160. If they were to kind of come in line and guide, the, you know, down a little bit, I, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it changes the story a whole heck of a lot, in my opinion. This report was kind of odd. I mean, you've been you've covered Apple for a very long time as a as an analyst. The Taiwan Economic Daily they report this, and they don't have any specific sources, and yet people in the market really took this. Very seriously. Why? I'm actually surprised given the context of this. And so Mm -hmm. every year, as Dan was saying, every quarter there's some noise, but there is a a ritual around going into an iPhone cycle. You'll hear about these massive builds that are going to happen. I just want to give a quick context to how those builds come out. And then they get cut every December, which is what we're seeing today. So uh, the reason why Apple has those big builds is they want to keep their suppliers at task and they want to make sure they're able to produce a ton of inventory. And then they kind of dial that back. And so this is normal operating. I'm surprised it's getting the traction that it is. And I'll just point out one other piece is that this 30 million units that they're kind of expecting for the iPhone 10 for the March quarter, if Apple does that, that will be about double the number of iPhone 10s that investors are expecting. That would be a huge positive for ASPs. So there is an embedded, very positive sign around ASPs in today's news. And Gene, and it's great having you on the desk, first of all, because on a topic like this, the question you have to ask is, isn't this the case where Apple's, you know, this is a, there's going to be catch-up quarters in fiscal Q2 and Q3, essentially, the, you know, the, the 
probably the uh, the March quarter, at least the June quarter, I think, where we wouldn't have seen that in other refresh cycles. So where people may be concerned now, and by the way, I think you impute this all the way through to some of the semis, uh, to Taiwan Semi and some of the other chip makers, too, because I think they're getting hit on this news. So um, ultimately, is this even a positive for Apple, um, the fact that maybe there was some slowness out of the gates and that it was a more smooth run? Well, I, I think that in, in total, it's normal operating procedure, and I think that uh, it probably is a positive. I think what's most important is that they still can't keep these in supply. They're just now, as of yesterday, 97% of the stores in the U.S. have iPhone 10, and so uh, that's basically tripled over the past few weeks. So if there was a, if there was a demand issue, uh, then we wouldn't have a supply right. issue. Well, you're, you're not going to know if there's a demand issue. I mean, I think this quarter is going to be really important to see actually what, you know, you, you, you know, listen, the fact that they freed up demand or, you know, supply as soon as they did, I think is really surprising. So to me, if we get a sense for the mix, because the plus was a was a, going to be a big seller, we knew that, right? right? And so to me, at the end of the day, they raised prices on all of these phones. This was a massive uptake. It was either 1000 or 1150 It should be great for ASPs if they hit that $25 million number or $30 million number. But if they don't, then yeah. it could be a problem. From the Parthenon uh, to the desk, Mr. Tross. <laughs> yeah, welcome, Tross. <laughs> well, a uh, funny thing happened on the way to the forum here vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Parthenon. That being said, the pullback in Apple is a gift here. Let me give you a couple reasons why it's a gift. Very little spillover into tech more broadly. You saw the triple Qs down 50 basis points. This is with the biggest stock down 2.7%. Also, very little spillover into the semis. Yes, Apple-centric chip stocks hit the hardest. That's the high beta part of the semi space. SMH down 2% on the lows. Closes on the highs of the day, still down 1%. So I'm okay with that. And we talk about Taiwan, where the news came from, the epicenter of this story, down 1%. This is a very high beta yeah. market, as Tim knows about. If this were a big deal, Taiwan would have been lower. So a lot of uh, sort of storm here, a lot of noise, but not a lot of signal. I'm buying Apple. The stock didn't even break below its 50-day moving average. Is there any? You guys are all bulls. Well, hold on. I got to take some issue here because, you know, we're t let's talk about Micron, a huge supplier to Apple. Okay. It's down, you know, more than 10% from its highs. It gapped up after those earnings and then got creamed, okay? It's filled in the entire gap and it's lower. Taiwan Semi, it's down 10% from a month ago, you know, 52-week high. But this is Samsung, seasonal, Dan. I mean, come on. This well, is, could be. It, but, but it always is. It could be the hottest yeah. sector, the hottest trade in tech over the last two years is starting to roll. So SMH goes up 33% and pulls back eight on a seasonal, a classic seasonal run. I mean, to... to well, Great. You don't have to be bullish here, but I mean, to so say that this is a big deal. Overlay I mean, it with a tech, a rotation out of technology, and it this works. This is where this whole it thing. would start. But you heard that on Micron. I mean, again, DRAM and NAND, I mean, they're actually seeing pricing is very solid. You're actually seeing a rebuild of inventories where, if anything, what we saw in the last six months was a drawdown of inventories. I, you know, I, I, I just think people are overreacting about, to the about seasonal, but what, what if you? What if the presumption is that this can start or make the, the rotation out of technology snowball? There's already this thought in the market, which... Well, I'm not yeah, sure that that's yeah, a bad thing. Well, but well to your, to okay, your so point, maybe, this, maybe that's this, not this rotation thing. has already been going on. You've yeah. seen the action in energy, which will get to the surge off of the bottom. I actually think tech has held up extremely well, given this internal rotation that we've seen of late, this very aggressive move into energy, more cyclical and value-oriented factors. Keep in mind, we talk about seasonality. The average return in the stocks in the month of January over the past 20 years, 5%. So I like semis on a pullback going into one of their best months of the year. And let me throw one other piece out there is... We know uh, our best uh, estimate is that things are going well right now for Apple, despite the news today. And I think that's probably indicative of the broader semi-market. But if you fast forward six, nine months from now, we're going to be talking about 2019. Mm -hmm. And I'm more concerned about what the multiples happen on some of these chip stocks at the end of next year as we start thinking about. Because whenever you have a big year, you naturally have a little bit of a pullback in the growth rate. So to me, 
that's one of the bigger. But questions. your presumption is that in 2018, these stocks will continue to run. Exactly. But I think the stock, the first half, but right. I think by the, when things are just doing great in the middle of 2018, I think that's when the multiples start to come. And is that the same view for Apple? Next or or what's your view on the multiple so? team? Okay. Sorry to cut you off, Mel, yeah. but I mean, to me, it's all about the multiple with Apple, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're, I don't know, where, you, where are you next year on earnings, EPS? So, uh, $12, and you can put a 16 uh, multiple on that. You get to about a trillion-dollar company, and so that's... But that's the, high, that's the high end of the multiple okay, range, Okay, so right 10% there. from I mean, here. Guys, but here's the thing. If there was ever going to be a cyclical top in this stock after the run it's had, it's when they first, they just jumped the shark, and they introduced a $1,000 phone, okay? And they don't have the demand that they thought would. I'm just saying. I'm not Wish casting. I'm saying let's let's kind of. But we're not sure about, about that, Dan. Well, we, we're going to know in a few weeks. We've Dan. had components. Well, we're going to know. The thing, few, it wasn't a smooth I, launch, but I mean, it's not because of demand. He okay. just said that. Well, we don't know. What, what are you talking about? We don't. We don't know. That, I'm, that's I'm, what I'm the listening to the analyst who's on the desk. That the iPhone 10 demand has not been great. Okay, so if we see that in their guidance for the March quarter, then that's it in my opinion, then they totally miscalculated on a, on a, uh, on a market where 85% of the market share is Android, and the average selling price is maybe a third of Apple's average selling prices. So to me, if they can't have but a hit in this high-end product in this quarter and the next one, then that may be it. But again, th then this gets back to a company that, that has no innovation, and you know it's all about one refresh, when in fact, that's not what people have been talking about for the last six months. They've been talking about 23% growth in services. They've been talking about ASPs that are going higher. Um, if anything, gross margins are going higher. So I, I just, you know, they, what they I see this. Higher. Last year, last year that, was the lowest in two years. That, that, that's the call. So. I mean, the call is, I mean, look, their ESP, they're holding it. They're not giving it up. And, and I don't think, you know, and then there are places like India and China, which are actually turned around. And in the meantime, the stock's added $300 billion in market cap over that period. So, so I think the, the bears have bullish. been calling a cyclical top in a stock. They've, they've missed out on $400 billion in market cap. And I think 2018 is going to be another great example of that. Well, it wasn't just Apple today. The rest of the tech space. Uh, taking a hit as well, but Rich Ross has got uh, three names that you could buy on the tips. So why don't you head over to the plasma, Rich? There he goes, sauntering. Do we have away. to invite him back? No, I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, okay. He does. So we've got three stocks. <laughs> Look, out there. We've made our list, we've checked it twice, and Microsoft still comes out on top. So we talk about the strength, the relative strength versus the market, some of the weakness that you saw. Microsoft is holding like a rock. Look at this short term trend here. The next move coming out of this pattern is higher. And of course, as we discussed last week on this very show, it's the power of this base that makes us really bullish here. This is an 18-year base here, absolutely. And on a relative basis, look at this. You've just started to break out versus the S&P for the first time in 17 years, taking out those old highs. So there's really a lot to like about Microsoft. So now we're going to look at VMware. We're going to stay in the software space, okay? Maybe not a household name, but it should be. About $70 billion in market cap. You see an equally bullish base, albeit shorter. We're talking about sort of a five-year base breakout here to a new all-time high. But just like a Microsoft, what we like about the stock is this relative strength break out. You see a stock that had been underperforming the market for the better part of the last four years. So now we emerge both relatively and absolutely, as you saw just before. So Microsoft and VMware in the software space, two great buys. Now we're going to finish with a household name, the big boy here, Facebook. What do I like about Facebook? What I like is that the stock hasn't done very much, okay? So for the last five months, going back to July, you're essentially unchanged. The stock is sort of under-owned, under, not under-owned, but under-appreciated, under-loved here. And I like that going into one of the strongest periods of seasonality for tech and big tech more broadly. So where do we go out of this bullish consolidation? We go higher. So there's three great ways 
to play technology, Microsoft, VMware in the software space, and Facebook in the FANG space. Well, you know, if he weren't on the desk, I might not invite him back, but come on <laughs> He's over. He's going to be homeless, though. I mean, otherwise, I mean, mean what's he going to do? It's really going to be a Come on back. Here. Come on back. Just joking. Tim, your pick of the three. I like Facebook. I, I like the call. I like the call because I think Facebook now is priced in a lot of you know, challenging news, if anything. The headwinds that are coming out of Europe, obviously the stuff in terms of privacy is a big deal here. Um, and I think they've also really let the market know they're going to spend a ton to actually control some of the factors of their business, including the media side of it, that have gotten a little bit away from them. So, uh, But the fact that the stock really has not done anything for four or five months, for a chartist perspective, and it's holding this ground, that is bullish. There's another big uh, advantage that they're going to have is they haven't started to monetize Messenger yet. They've hinted that that's going to be coming, and analysts have been putting some concepts around that, but that's something that should be positive for the numbers of the next couple of years. What do you think? Payments? Well, I, I just think in messaging in general, payments is a big piece. Who runs that messaging group for Facebook? David Marcus, the former president of PayPal. And when you think about it, I mean, to me, I think that's a massive lever for this company to pull. They said when they bought WhatsApp for $22 billion a few years ago that they were not going to put ads on it. They haven't done anything to monetize it. And it sounds like to what me. What would that be, buying, buying things <clears throat> in the app? Um, it, there's a whole host of things. I mean, just think about it. Think about Square Cash App and, uh, you know, th those sorts of things. I mean, to me, I think there's a lot of ways to do it through um, deals with retailers, that sort of stuff. Um, so to me, it sounds like payments is the way forward. And, and I got to tell you, with Facebook, and you just mentioned it, the thing is, you just said the street knows they're going to be spending more. Uh, 2018 EPS is expected to be up 11%. Mm -hmm. So people have already worked in, you know, yeah. higher costs. They've gone out of their way. 30% sales growth. So to me, you know, it may start looking cheap if people see other levers for them to pull. I'm glad you mentioned the cash app. What are the odds you think that Facebook and or Apple does something with blockchain or crypto in the next year? And what does that do to the multiple? I mean, we've seen what it does to Long Island Ice Tea multiple. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a sip. Uh, <laughs> Apple's not going to do anything in crypto in the next year. It just isn't part of their culture. I think they'll just kind of let someone else lead and, and uh, be the pioneer there. Facebook? Uh, they might work with a third party to do it. Would yeah. you be happy as an investor if they, they announced something? Well, I, look, I, I think showing an awareness of really how payments are being made and how the world is being you know, disrupted or, or certainly disintermediated is a very, very positive thing. Um, who else has the scale to actually have a platform where you can actually have the kind of follow through? Obviously, Facebook. I mean, Facebook's scale is part of the reason it should be trading at a premium, not at a discount. Yeah, Mel, can I just make one yeah. point? You know, when you listen to PayPal talk about Venmo, their peer-to-peer payments, they talk about it as a social network. I mean, so when you think right. about that, so to me, that's where um, that is a 2018 story for Facebook. Yeah, as it, as it pertains specifically to crypto, I think their silence speaks volumes here. The fact that we're not rushing into the market on this sort of nascent technology that's really yet to be proven outside of just a, a historic sort of run on the stock charts here. And as it pertains to the stock chart itself, you're moving sideways here. That's bringing expectations down. Once again, as you go into a period of very strong seasonality, you want to buy large cap tech stocks like Facebook when the expectations are muted and the stock is consolidating in sideways fashion. All right, coming up, the hedge fund manager who just bet a cool million bucks that Bitcoin could hit 50000 He will be here to tell us when it could happen and which other cryptocurrencies could go along for the ride. You won't want to miss that. Plus, energy stocks leading the market today has crude at 60 bucks for the first time since June 2015. Are any of the traders buying this move? We'll find out. And later, Tim's had the hot hand knocking pitch after pitch out of the park, and now he's doubling down on one stock that's already up 80% this year. The name, when Fast Money returns. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Energy stocks leading the market today, and that kicks off our top trade. The XLE Energy ETF rallying nearly 1%, up more than 5% this month. And this is crude oil has surged more than 2% today, hitting a high of $60 a barrel. That's the highest level since June 2015. So is energy setting up for a 2018 rally? I mean, we've seen one already. What are you talking Yeah, it's a 2017 right. rally. I mean, you know, uh, this isn't about saying who is right or who is wrong. What I'm saying about energy is so many people avoided this for a lot of different reasons, which included I don't need to own it. It's not a big enough part of the index. Um, I've been hurt before, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you saw this with a couple of the key E&P names in the U.S., especially like in Anadarko. You saw this late, late summer. They started giving money back to investors. They started talking about buybacks. They started investing for equity shareholders, not debt shareholders. That changed the tone. Midstream right now looks very interesting. Oil services in midstream, I think, look the most interesting. Midstream trades, you know, this is, again, this is storage, uh, this is transportation, this is pipelines, this is MLPs. These are the names to me that are trading at massive discounts to the S&P relative to their histories, and this is the time to buy them. Break out in the OIH, break out in Halliburton, I'd stay there. Got a Mr. Technician here on that. <laughs> yeah, look, let, let's start with the underlying commodity itself, which has looked good for most of the year. That's not the problem with energy. You have a very bullish multi-year base of support in crude, the underlying. You touched $60 today for the first time in two years. You take out that 200-week moving average for the first time in three years. So crude, if it were a stock, you'd buy it. The problem's been the energy stocks themselves. As you know, oil field services down 20% year-to-date, even S&P Energy down 3%. So let me just square this up here. What do we do? The strongest names have been integrated refiners. That's your safer way to play it. You keep buying those. E&P on the come here. Some of your big boys, Concho, Fang, you like those. Oil field services, look, Halliburton, little mini base breakout, but that's a group that still has some wood to chop here. It should come around, but a lot of things should happen. Dan. All right, so you guys are all bullish over there. I mean, how much does this have to do with positioning what, the way people came in bullish on the dollar into this year right. and pretty bearish on oil it in general? It has to do with fundamentals. Well, I know, but, but what I'm saying I mean, is it's but, totally about fundamentals. It's not, I mean, I, I think some of it's positioning because, again, I think people have been so negative. But, I mean, think about where we've gone in terms of where inventories have gone. We've actually gone into possibly uh, we've at least taken out the massive supply. And I think you get to a place where I mean, we could be Can in deficit. Can the sector being underowned supercharge what exists in terms of the fundamental story? Does that work here? That no, it's no an underowned sector and that more people are just going to have to push into Yes, it? but I, I, I think we now need to look across the entire space because if you want to look at resources and you want to look at commodities, it's not just oil that's doing this. I mean, look at copper. Copper is at three and a half year highs. Three and a half year highs. Okay, and people need to believe that actually this isn't just about um, a weaker dollar or this isn't just about a, a you know, supply story that's suddenly changed. You have a demand side of the equation. Right. I mean, you have a lack data. of investment. This is very important for oil investors. You've had a lack of capex and an investment in all of these sectors, which means it's putting pr upward pressure on spot. Weaker dollar, if you think the dollar is going to be sideways next year, you stay in these trades. Maybe if I just connect the two viewpoints sure. here between Dan and Tim, I think, look, to get a trade out of it, you can get that based on sentiment and positioning. It gets washed out. You get a nice little year-end surge. But to get a, to get the generalist, to get the big, long, only money involved, to, to make energy an overweight again, you're going to need to see the fundamentals come through. We've seen signs of it, but we need to see more proof before people start to put billions behind this, not just sort of year-end trades. But we like what we see as you go into the new year. He's a bridge builder, this Rich Ross here. He is, Bridging but, the divide. But I, I got to tell you, and, and, and I know, I know that Gene nice. probably Sometimes has lots to say about the energy market <laughs> I here. But <laughs> I would just tell you guys, when I look at this crude chart for the last 20 months or so, it's traded between 40 on the downside, and now it's getting back up to 60. That looks like the best trade in the entire space. It looks like it's poised for like an epic breakout. How do you play that in the equity market, Tim? Like just pound for pound? I, I, I would go EOG. I would go um, CVX. And I would probably go into an Apache. Those are great.
Still ahead, retail seeing its best holiday season in years, and that has a number of beaten names surging. But should you trust the retail resurgence? We will explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Wondering how high Bitcoin could go? To infinity and beyond! Almost, because one crypto hedge fund manager is betting Bitcoin could hit $50,000 next year. And he'll be here to tell us why. Plus, Tim's bringing the heat, pitching one stock that's up 80% this year. And he says it has even more room to run. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was another wild, wild weekend for Bitcoin with the cryptocurrency seeing some huge swings over the last few days. But if today is any indication, the Bitcoin boom is still very much intact. Seema Modi is breaking it down from headquarters. Hi, Seema. Melissa, after losing one-fourth of its value last week, Bitcoin rebounded over the holiday weekend, though still trading below its recent peak of $20,000. Traders growing more concerned about issues at Coinbase, the most widely used Bitcoin exchange, which today said due to high volume, Volume, it's experiencing a backlog of outgoing transactions for Bitcoin and Ether. Now, despite the recent volatility and those concerns around Coinbase, Bitcoin still up over 1,500% this year, and its market cap has risen over $250 billion. As trading operators launch new Bitcoin products, a broader range of investors are showing interest in Bitcoin. And per Google Trends, interest has been rising throughout the year in nations like South Africa and Australia. Melissa, back to you. All right, Seema, thanks so much. Uh, Dan, what were you thinking? You've, you've dabbled in this. Uh, I, I as checked my Coinbase here. probably like 50 times this weekend, you know, not that I was bored with the in-laws or anything like that. I'm just saying in general, <laughs> I just, I actually thought the lack of volatility we were talking about on the desk on Friday afternoon before the long holiday weekend, we had that massive, what, 30-some percent sell-off in yeah. just a couple days. The fact that it's actually found a level, stabilized, I think it's really important. We were also talking about what Mike Novogratz was saying. Is for real stable? stable? Or is it stabilized for Bitcoin? And what's stabilized? that level? Yeah, let well, me. well, I'm just saying it, yeah. it's kind of found a home. It's not, it's not uh, moving. You know, right. I mean, it, it bounced back and. and Fifty percent moves to me is uh, uh, inner week is not stabilized. And I, I think when we talk about this whole theme about Bitcoin, what gets missed in all of this, and and looking at the the the, the value of it is. Retailers, imagine a retailer accepting Bitcoin and it's up 30% or down 40% the next day. And I think when we talk about the adoption and what this curve actually looks like, you have to put yourself in But no one's talking about a currency value. right now. It's really a store of value, value. argument. Store There's value. no currency argument to be made at this moment. Well, even stored value and the stored value side, if it's fluctuating by 20% every day, what retailer in their right mind is going to accept this? And no so, retailer. I mean, but that's at this point, that's not. But I mean, you know, bit, bit, Bitcoin's been around for 10 years and it, and it hasn't necessarily been a solution on on payments right I mean you know now granted some of this is adoption a lot of this is what Gene's talking about um, but but ultimately this is a new asset class and there's a lot of different reasons why people believe in it um, and without getting to the thesis there I, I think it's more important to know that there's an enormous amount of speculation in assets especially those where people believe there's actually a limited amount of, of supply Bitcoin is one of the ones where people can rattle off how many coins are out there blah 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 um, the reality is this is what people are investing in uh, and and I think that's that's why people continue to want to be I, I think that People are investing in it today, but wait till you have a pullback. And I'm not suggesting that this is not the future of value transfer. I believe in it, but I think that this is a bubble. And I think that as soon as it starts, the, the momentum starts to go the other way, the searches on Google are going to continue to go skyrocketing up, but it's going to be about people trying to get out. 
Despite Bitcoin's already massive move this year, next guest says it could surge as high as, get this, $50,000 by the end of 2018. Ari Paul is a CIO, co-founder of Block Tower Capital. He joins us now from Stanford, Connecticut. Ari, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. So when did you place this bet and what exactly is this bet? It was a little over a week ago, and frankly, uh, I, I think it's not quite as interesting as people make it out to be. So it was 50,000 strike calls that expire end of next year, December of 2018. And, and as anyone who's familiar with options, buying an out-of-the-money call is not a bet that something will happen. It's a bet that something could happen. And you're getting good odds, and it gives you a chance to participate with minimal risk. So if Bitcoin does not hit $50,000 by the end of the year, then this whole thing expires worthless, right? But if Bitcoin rises above, then you have the right to buy a certain number of Cor Bitcoin at a certain price. Correct. So this call cost $3,600. Mm -hmm. If Bitcoin settles anywhere below 50000 next year, it'll expire, expire worthless. But if Bitcoin goes to, say, 100000 it pays 30 to 1. So I, it's really a bet to use option jargon on, uh, on kurtosis, fat tails. And the idea is, as we all know, Bitcoin is volatile, right? This is a hyper-volatile asset. Bitcoin is up, as, as uh, you, know, uh, you noted earlier, more than 1,400% this year. Uh, it also falls 30% almost every other month. So it is a hyper-volatile asset. And uh, these calls are a bet that if it's volatile to the upside, we could easily see over $50,000 next year. Hey, hey, Ari, for our viewer, I think it's important to recognize the fact when you're talking about this far out of the money, obviously for a volatile asset, it's really important to remember that this is not a high conviction bet. Would you say that you're adding leverage to an already pretty convicted near the money bet and just kind of explain that it's a bit more like a lotto ticket on something you're already convicted on where you have near the money participation? That's interesting. So I, I actually, I wouldn't recommend for most people to buy these options. Um, for me, it's actually the opposite of that. So for an individual, buying Bitcoin is kind of like owning a call, right? So an individual a year ago, they risked $900. That was their maximum risk. And they ended up making, uh, you know, well over 15 times their money. So it acted like a call. And I actually think that Bitcoin still remains a call. So today, you're risking 15000 And over the next few years, it could well be 50000 or 100000 Not saying that it will, but it could. So Bitcoin itself is like a call. So why would I buy calls? Well, I manage a cryptocurrency portfolio, and I'm trying to give investors access to the upside, but I'm also very focused on risk management. And so these calls are a way for me to, be, uh, to, to capture that upside exposure while actually owning less Bitcoin. These calls let me capture upside while reducing my downside risk. So you purchased these calls on LedgerX, right? I mean, you didn't go That's to correct. the CME or the CBOE, but there are a lot of crypto hedge fund managers right now who are probably looking to do sort of the same thing and actually hedge their portfolio. Do you see this? What sort of effect longer term do you see as more liquidity in options uh, comes about for, for Bitcoin? So liquidity, uh, as we know, is very powerful. There's a massive liquidity discount for many assets. When a stock gets added to the S&P 500, it tends to rally. Bitcoin is seeing a massive surge in liquidity. So Bitcoin was trading about a billion dollars a day globally just five months ago. Now we're seeing $14 billion a day. And this is just the beginning because CBOE and CME futures just launched, LedgerX options just launched, uh, exchange-traded notes um, are, are coming out of the woodworks all over the world. Does this stabilize the price of Bitcoin? Not stabilize, but does this, does this dampen the volatility at all? What's the longer-term impact? So very short term, my guess is that it will dampen the volatility as you have more market makers. So, so right now, there's very little market making. Most people are momentum traders on this. 
Um, as market makers come in, it'll dampen the short-term volatility, but I don't think it'll dampen the month-to-month -month or yearly volatility because this is a fundamentally hyper-volatile asset, really fundamentally, which is to say there is, no, uh, in, there is no clear intrinsic value. That's not to say there's no value. I think there's tremendous value, but there's no set number. There's no number at which point a Warren Buffett comes in and, and, and starts buying a ton or which people start liquidating. The higher the price of Bitcoin goes, the more convinced people are, are that it has value. And there's some reasonable uh, you know, thinking to that because this is all network effects. Hey, the more people use Bitcoin, the more valuable it is. Hey, all right, can I ask a quick question? This is Rich Ross here. Um, I, I applaud your moxie here. This is sort of the Texas hedge, your long crypto and long calls to manage your risk. Other than that, in terms of defining that risk, how are you hedging this extremely volatile underlying asset other than buying those big upside calls? So the calls let me have lower beta, right? I, I'm able to own less Bitcoin and less cryptocurrency as a whole while still providing my investors with that optionality with that that payoff if Bitcoin goes to $100,000. But if Bitcoin falls by 80%, I get to lose less because I own less cryptocurrency because these calls give me access to the upside with mm -hmm. less exposure. In terms of how I hedge, investors with us specifically are trying to take this bet. They want exposure to cryptocurrency and they're deciding how much risk they want to take, right? They're deciding if that's 2% of their portfolio or 10% or 20%. My mandate is to capture the short-term alpha in this market. It's an incredibly inefficient market. Right. And also to provide some exposure to the upside. Last question, uh, Ari, uh, and that is a 50,000 by the end of next year. If that's not your call, what is your call for Bitcoin? And what's your favorite mm -hmm. cryptocurrency at this point in terms of upside? My call is for extreme volatility uh, with upside potential, uh, which, which is what makes a very attractive call-like payout. Um, and in terms of favorite cryptocurrency, um, I, it's hard to pick one, but one that I think has very, has, has very real fundamental value aside from Bitcoin is Monero. Monero is a privacy-focused cryptocurrency uh, with very strong engineering. Isn't that the one used by criminals? Uh, everything's used by criminals, including the U.S. dollar and the <laughs> That's euro. That's true. That's true, too. That's true. Uh, Ari, we're going to leave it there. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Ari Paul, fascinating stuff. I felt like this is right up your alley, Dan. Yeah, uh, hopefully we'll be doing it on Options Action someday very soon. I just think it's really important to remember, uh, like when you think about a $3,600 call one year out on a 50,000 strike, that is still 7% of the 50,000 strike. The probability of making money on that is very low, okay? Right. So to me, I think there's a lot of people who own this volatile cryptocurrency who'd rather sell those out-of-money calls to actually kind of take in some premium against this volatile asset. Just throw one other kind of summary point out here is he talked about the reason why he put this trade on is because of the volatility, as you just said, Dan. Uh, this is not necessarily a bullish statement about the near term around crypto. I'm a believer longer term, but this is about a bullish statement on volatility. Look, ultimately, what I think Ari is doing is trying to employ a number of risk management methods as he or portfolio management techniques. Right. And, and that ultimately is the question that I have for anybody that's managing a fund in crypto. Um, really, you know, what's, what's the skill set? What's the track record that either entitles you or gives you an edge over other people in this space? And that's really what I think we're all about to learn. All right. Still ahead, retail stocks on fire after seeing a surge in holiday sales. But there's something in the charts that suggests some of these names may have run too far too fast. We'll break it down. Plus, Tim's had the hot hand. One of his recent fast pitch ideas surging more than 25%. Can he do it again? Stick around to find out. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Retailers feeling the Christmas cheer this year with holiday spending hitting a new record high. Kate Rogers is live in the thick of it at one of our nation's largest shopping malls. Hi, Kate. 
Hey, Melissa, good to see you. We're going to kick it off with Amazon, the e-commerce giant, saying it had its biggest and best holiday season ever. They said that customers bought tens of millions of Alexa-enabled devices around the globe. They also said that more than 4 million people trialed their Amazon Prime service during one week of this holiday season and that more than a billion items were purchased from small businesses and entrepreneurs around the globe by customers this holiday retail season. We also got new data from MasterCard out this morning. They said that overall sales from November 1st through Christmas Eve grew by 5%. That is the best pace since 2011. E-commerce sales grew 18% during that same time period. And to dig into those numbers a little bit more, electronics were really the standout there. They grew 7.5%. That's the best pace in 10 years. Jewelry grew by more than 6%. Home improvement and items for the home, that grew by around 5% this holiday season. And overall, the NRF says sales were set to grow by around 4%. Uh, up from last year to a total on the high end of $682 billion. Adobe says that e-commerce sales accounted for about $100 billion or so of that. And if you take a look at the retailers today, really the big standouts were JCPenney, Macy's, and Kohl's. They all closed higher uh, between 5 and 6% on the day. So it's really been a good one so far. Back over right. to you. Thank you, Kate Rogers. Kate Rogers at the mall. Uh, Tim, one of your picks, one of your holdings macy's doing quite well yeah macy's is, is doing fantastic and, and the the story here really is not only where expectations and perceptions were but truly what's being run differently i think they're running the inventory a very different way uh, i think they've taken advantage of actually of, of some opportunity in their capital markets to improve their balance sheet so um you know to me people made a big deal out of saying oh they always do this this time of year they don't always do this xrt is 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 traded lower three of the last four years, essentially from Black Friday through to the end of the first quarter or when they announced four-quarter EPS. So, uh, again, I think this is a trade. Actually, you stay in a lot of these names. But having said all that, um, these guys don't necessarily get back to the former multiple until we see a very different game, and you can take some profits here. Didn't you say XRT was the worst chart in the yeah, whole world? Yeah, I, I was wrong. Times. That was early. Uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I actually, when a lot of these retailers were at the lows in the summer, I thought it got way overdone. And I thought there was a potential for a short squeeze. But I got off that train kind of a little too early, September, October, or something like that. I'll just say this, though. We have very easy comparisons year over year, okay? We had very poor sentiment. We know that a lot of these balance sheets are impaired. Maybe they did better with inventory. It's less promotional of a period. We know that consumer confidence is better. And I think this is the time. Now, I've said it a couple times over the last few months, but I think you know, some of the reasons why these stocks were where they were in the summer, they're going to be, the same reasons are going to be in more effect in a few months when we see Amazon. But this, this so is with the tax bill, by the way, that's going to totally help. We're, we haven't even yeah. talked about yeah, that most of these guys are paying effective tax rate at 39%. A dollar that's a tailwind, not a headwind. I mean, these were all things that were beating these guys over the head a year ago. I, you know, I'm a tech guy, so when I hear people getting interested in traditional brick-and-mortar retail, I just want to add a little bit of perspective because tech is the future. <laughs> I, I think you are I the bad guy, after all. I make a prediction here is that <laughs> uh, in the next year, Target gets acquired by Amazon. And, by uh, Amazon. By Amazon. And it really kind of puts together this duopoly, Walmart versus Amazon. But when I look at that 5% growth for traditional retailers and the 18 for online, you think Amazon's going to be at 26%. You can talk about the little things. I will add just one little teaser in terms of how e-commerce is going to evolve and how the pace of e-commerce can continue at these high rates. Is you look at companies like Enjoy, one of Ron Johnson's companies, and he's basically adding a human touch. And so it's nice to have the, the one and two hour delivery from Amazon, but certain people are going to need a little bit more, and I think you're going to start to see this human element that e-commerce companies are going to adopt. Which it's is why they go to Target? I mean, is that why, you know, so why Amazon to Target? 
Amazon ad, Target adds an important demographic, and I think what they'll do is take that very similar to Whole Foods and just kind of morph that to online. And now Amazon's probably not going to be an enjoy customer, but I think all e-commerce can can be powered by a more personalized experience. And so I'm just I'm I'm very negative on right. traditional brick and mortar for those reasons. Now, now Gene, Dan, you used a phrase before. You said this could be the time for retail, and I would agree with that. A lot of the the ducks are getting in a row here. However, from a technical standpoint, in many cases, it might be the time, but it's not the place. There's a couple of charts that I would really focus oh. on. Look at Kohl's, okay? A 62% surge, yeah. just like we saw 2016 going into 2017. You know what that was? That was the top, okay? That was the best time to sell it. Don't chase Kohl's here. This is not the place to do it. The next one we have is Foot Locker, okay? 72% surge from the low. But what have we done? Right back up into resistance at the 200-day moving average. Please, don't chase Foot Locker here. Now, Dan, this one's for you. We've got something Kohl's, something Shoe, something borrowed on the Just short side. Now we go something oh. blue with Tiffany. There you go, sir, okay? Look at Tiffany. You're buying that in any kind of market. That's Beautiful double market. bottom breakout here from a 10-month consolidative range. This is a stock that could trade 135. So within retail, you still have to be discretionary if you know where I'm going with that. Can I just make one point back to your prediction for the Amazon and the yeah. Target? No way that this administration lets the Amazon Washington Post buy Target. And well, Amazon I'm has a partnership with Kohl's already. Yeah. Why, why, I think Alibaba why would, buy should buy Target if they want to enter the U.S. But also, retail market. Why yeah. buy brick and mortar? This, the same reason why they bought Whole Foods. Is, but at is, some point, doesn't, doesn't the Amazon multiple have to be brick and mortar multipled? even a little bit? If no, if it's growing at 26%, if one of the reasons they can continue to fuel this uh, yeah, I, I mean, above market I, growth, I look, think the market... A couple things. Higher. Consumer discretionary is very different than retail. So let's be clear about this. Tiffany, by the way, I think is a takeover target. These guys get a lot of benefit from the dollar, from the dollar and from taxes. Um, but again, talking about retail now where people are getting fired up after 20, 30% moves is, as what we're saying on the desk, I mean, you have to be careful in a lot of these names. Still ahead, Elon Musk taking to Twitter about his next big idea, a pickup truck. Is it enough to pick up the stock price? We've got the details. Plus, Tim's warming up to pitch the one stock that he's calling a screaming buy into next year. And here's a hint. It's already up 80% in 2017. Find out what it is when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Just one month ago, Tip step, Tim stepped up to the plate to pitch U.S. Steel. I just want to draw a trend because you can make an argument that this trend has been intact the entire time. And as sloppy as that line looks, the bottom line is we've challenged a lot of directional in here. It's held above the 200. It's held above the 100. And this is a channel that I think is actually very interesting. Go buy this now. Nice charting, Tim. Hmm. Um, but yeah. Tim was right. Despite his charting, the uptrend has stayed intact. The stock has jumped 24% since then. What are you doing now? Dan and I had a little combat that night. And he was actually <laughs> right about that. The, the stock needed to get above the trend line, and my line was sloppy enough just to kind of hide it all into one little little chart. But bottom line is I stay along U.S. Steel. I've taken 25% out of this position. It's had an enormous run. I think if you look at hot roll prices, if you look at actually where steel demand is, the fact that we're preventing a lot of the dumping in this country, and clearly this is a poster child for what Trump is trying to do. But on valuation and free cash flow yields, that's why I own it, not because I'm expecting anything else, and that's worth owning. 
So that was a great call. Yeah. Why don't you head over to the plasma? Give us your next pitch. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is very different because where U.S. Steel is a stock that was down, I'm, I'm talking to you about Melco Crown, which is uh, obviously a stock in, in the gaming space, which has been on fire. Um, so let's go here. And ultimately, we're at a place where I think this is a stock that's had a huge run, and I think there's a lot more to go. And let's talk about that. And here's why. First of all, um, the, v, the VIP and premium trends in the sector everywhere are going higher. We know what's going on in Vegas, but most people are trying to get exposure to Macau. Gross gaming revenue, GGR, I expect to be up 14% this year, and I think these guys are the purest play. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, we talk all about Las Vegas Sands and Wynn. They've had great years, and in fact, if you look at Wynn, they're probably 70% Macau at this point. This is a pure play. This is how you play Macau. This is where the growth is, and despite what people think about Big Brother in China, I think we've gotten through a lot of the, the, the macro issues. Finally, um, the discount to the other plays that I think people are very comfortable playing is massive. So a discount to, to, to win in Las Vegas Sands to me is something that I think ultimately is exactly what we want to do and something that we want to follow. So if I, if I look at this chart, um, and this is really where, if anything, you should have some concern of this kind of a move, right? So this is an 85% move. Um, that is not necessarily where I care about the chart. I care when I look back kind of to where we were in 2015 and back through the peak days of all the gamers in Asia. This is a stock that has a lot of room to run, but on multiple is a stock you can stay very long with a lot of momentum behind it. Hey, Tim, so just um, sales are supposed to decelerate um, next year. Um, obviously, you know, this is a story. The company's very levered. I mean, is there something going on here? Um, like, have you gotten the move? You know, not, not too dissimilar to what we were talking with a lot of these retailers. Um, it looked like it may be overshot on the downside, but now you've come back. We have peak sales, and now they're kind of mid to high single digits. No, I think their balance sheet gets better. They just completed CapEx on a billion-dollar tower project right next to their, their key uh, casino in Macau. Uh, I like sales growth for 2018. All right, it is time to vote. Are you buying Tim's pitch on Melco Resorts? I go to Rich Ross. Uh, I'm a big buyer, sort of a C for the technicals, but uh, an A for the pick. $42 target. You want to be a buyer of Melco. Gene? I'm also a buyer. Uh, Tim, you had me at best way to play Macau. Love that place, and I want some of that. Uh, I'm a buyer also. I just tell you that Tim's technically... It's so bad, but its fundamentals are fantastic. <laughs> the lines are horrendous. Yeah. The fundamental call looks Fair. good. It's technically so bad. Fair. Ouch. All right, vibes all, all around the desk. But did Tim's pitch from Melco Crown make you want to take a gamble on the stock? You can vote right now at our poll at CNBC Fast Money on Twitter. The results later on in the show. And do shares of Tesla need a pickup? CEO Elon Musk hinting today that a new idea is in the pipeline. Stick around to find out what it is and if our traders think the stock is a buy. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla CEO Elon Musk tweeting hints about what could be the next big thing for the automaker, a pickup truck. In the tweet exchange, Musk even went as far as to say that he is dying to make the new model, but could that give the stock the pickup it needs? Shares are down nearly 10% in just the past three months. And of course, the pickup truck would come after the Model Y, which would be that crossover. Gene, what do you think? This is a big deal, and it adds 15% to addressable market for Tesla. But what's more important is this just shows how well positioned the company is for this next transition to EV. And I just can't stress this enough, is that the big bear case on Tesla right now is production, this manufacturing hell that they're going through. And when they're talking about doing the truck, what he's saying is I need to figure out this manufacturing issues, and then we're going to get to the pickup truck. And I just want to point out that anybody who's bearish on Tesla is that all of their manufacturers, car manufacturers, are going to have to go through this same sea change in terms of how they do Ex it. 
except that they have to actually find a place to produce these new vehicles. They don't have the, currently the production capacity to add a Y and then a pickup truck, and in the meantime, they're burning cash. Well, the, the, as far as the production ability, they have enough production space right now to manufacture essentially a million uh, cars a year. And so they did about 50,000 last year. So they can ramp this and get investors more calm. As far as the cash is concerned, is that as long as they keep positioning themselves for EV and autonomy, investors are going to back them. They're not going to have a problem. It's going to be a great story as people get um, pins and needles about it. But I'm a big believer in where Tesla, I think so, that this so story has a lot of upside. What's with the stock recently? Yeah, so recently the stock's done a whole lot of nothing. Recently, meaning the last seven or eight months. It hasn't been a great year, but it hasn't been a disaster either. Keep in mind, this is a stock that emerged from a very bullish multi-year base of support. So absent a break below the high end of that range, prior resistance becomes support on the pullback, let's call it 280. I think the stock's earned the benefit of the doubt in here around 318. You can buy the stock here, use a 280 stop. I know it's not super tight for traders, but the chart's not broken. If anything, it's just a continuation pattern, a counter trend channel. And the stock can move higher here. Speaking of Tesla, one trader's betting on a comeback for the automaker. So, Dan, why don't you break it down? Yeah, so today on this uh, you know, day where the stock was down a few percent, I think it's really important to remember, this stock is up 50%. It's actually been a really good year, okay? It's down about 17 18% from its 52-week high made in September. But call volume was two times that of puts. It was really kind of hard to tell. There was some January call activity. It looked like about four or 5,000 of the January uh, 330, 345 call spreads were bought for close to four bucks. That's not a great risk-reward. What do we have coming next? We know that earnings are not going to be until February, but we know that we're going to get deliveries um, next week. So if this is a new long position, possibly positioning for that, and then back to the chart, look at that. That's probably that support level that you have there. 300 is the level it just bounced off of where I think traders get a little I want to warn about. people, too, a little bit about that number, that important number that Dan talks about that's going to come out next mm -hmm. week is they're going to give their production numbers, yep. and people are going to focus on Model 3. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a miss on that number. I don't think yeah. that changes the trajectory. All right. Options action full show 5 30 p.m. Eastern time up next. Uh, the results for Tim's pitch and the final trade. Safety. Drum roll, please. It is time to find out whether or not you bought Tim's pitch for Melco Crown. American has spoken. They are not no. buying the pitch. So you know what? It's for we get some Tony Braxton, Tony Braxton and that's action. always yeah. very, very special. Right um, speaking of special, uh, final <laughs> trade, Melko, by the way, Rich Ross, Gene Munster, desk got a lot smarter tonight. Thank yep. you. Rich Ross. NVIDIA up on a down day in chips and tech. You're buying NVIDIA by more above 201. Gene. Tesla, don't overthink it. They got a pole position for the future of autonomy and electric vehicles. Dan. I'm going to overthink this. SMH, the semis, I think you sell them. Maybe not your NVIDIA, but I think the SMH sees 95 soon. Nice. I'm Melissa Lee. Have a great night. Mad Money's up next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.